welcome to the Harvest Seymour podcast. Come check us out and see how God is moving in this community. If you would like to know more, check out our Facebook page, or you can visit us at hcfseymour.org. Have a wonderful day. You see, I, I really think, though, that as we begin to lift the Father up, we lift Jesus up, He has this way of drawing all people to Himself. You see, I just, I just have this expectation, or maybe this faith stance, that when we worship, that the true Spirit of God wants to minister to people. And there's a place in there where we've got to make sure that we're giving him the reins. Amen? What would it be if you just have an expectation for the Lord to minister to you every week? Come on now. Have that expectation that he, through his spirit, wants to meet with his people. And what would it be if like, we just had our, had our minds made up, he's going he's gonna to do something today? What would that be like? I'm not getting any feedback here. I mean, what would that be like? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Let's have our minds and hearts set an expectation. What is God going to do today? Amen? All right. So let's go ahead and get into the word today. So we're going to wrap up this series. We've been on the Culture of Honor series, and today's the last one. And uh, so what we've been talking about, or where we began, let me just say this, where we began is that, that honor, I, uh, we began with four things about honor. Honor knows what it is, to, how to treat things as holy that, that the Father calls holy. That's the first thing. When we walk in honor, it's, it's actually the love language of God, that if you want to express love to God or express the love of God to anybody, it's always loaded with honor. It's His love language. Talked about the fact that that uh, honor attracts a life of honor attracts the favor of God. You go like, man, God, where's where's the favor in my life? Where's the favor? Like, where's the honor? Right? You know. And so, and then we talked about how honor begins with humility. And then we made a shift into talking about how how honor is really uh, about heart to heart connection. It's about seeing people the way the Father sees people. It's about seeing ourselves the way the Father sees us. How many of you understand that, that you are a royal child of God? That you're actually royalty. That's not just happy thought. Actually, Jesus paid for it with his life on the cross. When he was raised on that third day to glory and honor, so are you. Raised to new life, as Scripture says. We even talked about how heaven is filled with honor. It's, it's act, heaven's culture is actually a culture of honor. If you want to know what heaven is filled with, it's filled with honor. And it's actually what God is trying to build in the earth, is trying to build into his church, is actually a culture of honor. Amen? And so today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about Jesus' most prized possession. His most prized possession, the bride of Christ. 
That's the title of today's message, The Bride of Christ. And so you can open your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to be pulling all kinds of stuff out of Ephesians today. But let me just start with Ephesians 5, 23 through 28, and then verse 32. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In verse 32, this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let's pray. And so, Lord, today, I pray, Lord, just for the unfolding revelation of your word. I pray, Father, that the eyes of our heart, Lord, would be opened that we might be able to see what it is that you are saying. Father, I pray, Lord, that my words, Lord, would be guided by your spirit, that I would only say the things that you are saying, Lord. And so, Father, today, God, we invite you just to continue to minister, Lord. We invite you, Lord, to teach us, Lord, and to train us, God, according to your word. So, Jesus, have liberty just to walk up and down these aisles, Jesus, have liberty, Lord, just to place your hand on the hearts and minds of the people in this room. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Husbands can relate to what I'm about to say. But, you know, in my life, I've been called a lot of names. Been talked about, been lied about. Some, some may be deserving, some not. I like to think mostly not. I've, I, yeah, you know what, and you know what, that kind of thing, it upsets me for a while, and it hurts my, my feelings, you know, and, but eventually I'll forgive, I'll move on, and I may not like that person for a while, I might skip the aisle at the grocery store if I see him, you know, can anybody relate so far? And things might be awkward, and you know, for a little bit, but I'll go, you know what, Lord bless that person, you know, blah, 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 anybody can relate, right? Well, you mess with my wife, you're a dead man. <laughs> right? You say what you will about me, but you start talking about her, there's clear and present danger for your life. Right? See, see, husbands and wives, you may not be in a good place. You might have even had ugly words exchanged. You know, you might have said something, I want bigger pants. Well, she says, well, you need to lose weight. You know, silly arguments like that. You may, or you might have big time arguments where you go like, man, you, you weren't talking for maybe three days. This ongoing argument might, may have called even names. But as soon as somebody else says something, it's on. Right? That all those little petty arguments get put to the side. You don't even think about that anymore. It's throwdown time. How many husbands can relate to that today? All right, good. So here, here's what I want you to know. I believe that innate 
hardwired protective instinct that men have in situations like that, I believe it comes from God. I believe it actually comes from Jesus. Now, here's where this gets a little scary. Because the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. So in other words, Jesus just might be saying, don't you be jacking with my wife. See, how we treat Jesus' wife more than we realize, this, that might actually be pretty scary. How we approach his bride, our attitudes, our words, our actions, slander, opinions, gossip, remember, it's his wife. And I want to unpack, I think, what is I would consider one of the most destructive patterns that occur in the body of Christ actually a couple of them, but, but there's this a destructive pattern within the body of Christ, and it's the same one. It's the same one over and over and over and over. It's the argument of position, status, privilege, hierarchy, and authority. Who's the man? Who's the woman? Y'all remember Korah? He was the fellow that got upset with Moses. Who are you, Moses, to exalt yourself above the congregation? Who do you think you are? And, and Moses, I, if I were Moses, I'd be going like, you see this pillar of fire <laughs> right there? And remember that loud, booming voice and thunder? Him. You, you, you know what I'm saying? That would be me if I'm Moses. But you know what? Moses didn't even defend himself. And of course, you know, the ground splits open and the Lord deals with Korah. But even, even fast forward, even to the days of, of, the, of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, like whenever, whenever the nation split and Judah went south and Israel went north, you know, David's and his lineage took Judah, but it was, it was whoever was the best leader in Israel. It was like they were constantly assassinating one another to see who would get that other kingdom. And they were always vying for a position. It was like, watch out because someone's going to take you out. That was Israel's deal. But here's the deal. This is not just common in the church. It's common in society, politics, at work, at home, with kids vying for attention, the front seat. <laughs> it's an age-old problem. Question, why is the, would the front seat be so, is such a big deal? Why is that such a big deal? Whenever Scripture says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you have a seat next to Christ, why does any seat even matter? You've got the one. But this is an age-old problem. You see, Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High. See, there's just, there's just something in man that wants to be the man. There's just something in woman that just wants to be the woman. Right? But see, here's the deal. Even Jesus' disciples had this issue. This is something everybody deals with. Can we just admit it? I deal with this. We all deal with this. Come on, just out loud. Come on. Yes, this applies to me, right? Okay. See, even, even James and John struggled with this, and they came up with a plan. James and John got their mommy to go and t talk to Jesus. 
And they knelt, and she knelt before him, and, and, he, and, and, and the Lord just goes, woman, and this is literally what he says, woman, what do you want? She just came and knelt before him, you know. He's like, what's up? She goes, these two boys of mine, grant that they may sit on your right and your left. In other words, grant them a position. And Jesus replied, woman, do you know what you're even asking me? And Jesus looks at these two man boys. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Having no idea what they were agreeing to, they said, sir, yes, sir, we were able to. And this is what Jesus says, oh, you're, you're going to drink this cup. You have no idea what you just agreed to. Yeah, you're going to drink this cup. But in Matthew 20, 23, he says this. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you're going to drink this cup, but where you sit, my Father decides. I don't even decide. But Jesus, you're like the CEO of the kingdom. Can't you just put a good word in for us, you know? I'll be the COO, and he'll be the CFO, and you can be the CEO, and man, it'll be glorious. It'll be so awesome. But but here's what Jesus says. Look, guys, I want you to hear me. He's saying this. Look, position is not determined by father, but is determined by father, not favorites. People ought to think, well, if I had the position, things would be different around here. Telling you right now. But here's the deal. People think having a better position would somehow fulfill them, but all it does is reveal them. The only thing a position does for someone who's not ready for a position is make them miserable. The only thing a position does for people who are not ready to carry the position is be very destructive. The only thing a position does for someone who's insecure, unequipped, not ready, is make themselves and others miserable. See, people all the time want positions and appointments that God has not determined. Question, what kind of humility was Jesus walking in whenever he tells those two guys, I don't even decide. Do you catch that? Jesus says, I don't even decide. That's some heavy stuff. See, the constant vying for position tears at the unity of the body of Christ. But at the same time, you know what? There's got to be positions. If there's not positions, how does anything get done? You know, it could have been said of Jesus that he had clicks. Follow with me. Jesus had, in the immediate following of his, 120. And within that 120, there was 70. And within that 70, there was 12. And within that 12, there were three. Blessed are you when you are not offended that when you are in the 120 that you're not in the 70. 
Blessed are you when you're not offended when you're, when you're in the 70 and not in the 12. Blessed are you when you're in the 12 and not in the 3. Blessed are you when, when you are in the 3 and not the 1 and not offended. See, the three, when you're in the 3, the 3 wants to be 1. Who else thought like that? Satan. Check this out. The father had three angels at the beginning. Remember this? Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer was filled with the temptation. He wanted to be, well, he was in the three, but he wanted to be the one. Are you tracking with me? You see, when people accuse the Lord's church or his bride of being cliquish, you better make sure that you're not in agreement with something that you don't need to be in agreement with. Here's another argument that happens all the time with church leaders. And this goofy is all get out. You want to hear it? Yeah? Okay, let me provide a little context for this. Remember David, right? Man after God's own heart, the chosen one, right? Okay, and he had to serve this leader, about lost his mind, Saul. Okay, so he, and he just, you know, lost it. Well, then David also had a son named Absalom. Remember this? And Absalom wanted to steal the kingdom from him. Remember this? And, and he, he tried to plot against him, but Absalom's plans fell up, fell, fell apart. And so here's this argument that happens with uh, uh, church leaders. A young leader has a full-blown case of big dreams and young man's disease. And he says this to himself, I have a heart like David. Oh, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm a man after God's own heart. This pastor, he's crazy and controlling just like Saul. He's evil. And then the pastor says, oh, no, you didn't. I'm the David. You got an Absalom spirit. No, 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 I'm David, you're Saul. No, you're not Saul, you're, you're David, and, and no, you're, you're Absalom, no, and that worship, he's, he's Mephibosheth, and he's going to come with me, and we're going to go do our own thing. You see how crazy this is? This is bonkers. But over the past 20 to 30 years of doing life in church, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this go on and on. People say, well, who's the David? Who's got the heart after God? I'm telling you, this weird, competitive nonsense, all it does is divide his wife. I want you to look at this prophecy here, Zechariah chapter 12, starting with verse 8. It's an Old Testament prophecy concerning David and the New Testament church. Verse 8 of Zechariah 12. In that day... The Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will, shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God and the angel of the Lord before them. Okay, now let me break this down for you. That day actually is this day. We live, that day that it's talking about, we actually live in this day. That day is this day. Is that confusing enough for you? We live in this day. This is the day of Jesus' church, his wife. This is a right now prophecy. And this is what he says. And this day, the weakest, the feeblest, and the smallest will be like David. 
So here's what this means. If you're in Christ today, you're like David. You go like, I'm the weakest one in here. You've got the heart of David. I don't have it all together, but because you are in Christ, you're a David, man. Because you are in Christ, hey, man, let the weak say, I am strong. There's a heart of David in you. Why? Because if Christ be in you, come on. Hey, if Christ be in you, you're that man, you're that woman with a heart like David. You go like, I'm the weakest one in here. Good, you're just like David. Well, David was bad to the bone. So are you. Why? Because of Christ in you. But check this out. Then he says, but the house of David, the house of David, referring to the church, not an individual superstar, but the house, who we are together, shall be like God. Like an angel of the Lord. Who's he talking about right there? Who's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament Scripture? Any Bible students know? It's a real simple answer. Jesus. In that particular instance, it's talking about Jesus. See, who we are as individuals, man, is really cool, is really neat. You got a heart after David, but who we are together, man, it's like God. No one person could ever meet the need that 150 people can meet. And I'm going to prove it to you right here in Ephesians 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, the church as a body is called to be like God, to reflect and pour out the fullness of the riches of Christ to this world. As individuals, you're David. But as the collective church of Jesus Christ, his bride, reflect the greatness of God. Who you are individually, man, it's awesome. Way to go. But what Jesus is wanting us to see is who we are together. Well, I wanted to be David. In comparison to Christ, we're all Saul. Neurotic, insecure, competitive, jealous, and afraid. <laughs> but we're in Christ today, right? You know, I've learned over the years, whenever I have somebody come to me, he's like, Pastor, I... Man, I just see a David in you. You're, you're under a controlling soul right now, but I see a David in you. Hey, get behind me, Satan. What really matters today is his wife. See, positions, look, him, her, you, or another, what matters is Jesus' wife and how we treat her. There's a whole world out there that needs to be impacted by the fullness of Christ. 
to be displayed through his glorious bride. But people argue, but I wanted the front seat. You've got to remember who you're sitting next to. And if we get that locked in our mind, hey, I'm seated with Christ. He's your all in all anyways. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul really begins to unpack some things here. Starting with verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, when we're dealing with Jesus' wife, we must be diligent to protect not unity, but unity of the Spirit. How many of you know unity and unity of the Spirit are two different things? At the, or I'll give you for a Bible example. Unity alone, you see this at the Tower of Babel. But unity of the Spirit you see in Acts chapter 2. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus in John 17, he is constantly praying before the Father this simple thing. Lord, make them one. Make them one as we are one. Or let them be one in oneness together, unified together, and make them one with us. That's a picture of unity in the Spirit when we're one with one another and one with the Father. Jesus actually prays this now for his church. See, we've got to be diligent about the work of humility. The work of humility is real. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. <laughs> but here's the catch, though. Positions in the church are necessary, aren't they? They're just necessary. God uses people in positions to accomplish his will on the earth, and it's been that way since the dawn of time. So check this out in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. I'm going to read a big old chunk of Scripture. That's what we do around here. We read a lot of the Bible. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave him and gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by every part, uh, by which every part does its share. Check that out. Every part does its share. Someone say, do your share. Yeah, do your share. Because growth causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so here's the deal. When dealing with positions, one of the things that you have to do is honor the gift. The verse, Ephesians 4.11, mentioned the five-fold ministry gift. And see, this gift, this position, 
their, their gifts to the body of Christ. See, the body doesn't ever step into its fullness until we recognize the gifts that people carry. Whenever I see a gift you carry, and if I get in the way of that, I'm actually stifling the growth of the body. If I don't honor the different gifts that are here in this body, if they are not empowered to be and, and, and walk in the gift that they've been given by Christ, that stifles the body. Well, who do they think they are saying something? I don't even know why they get to pray. I'm telling you. That thinking, which is common, stops the flow of grace. That's common. But how many of you know that we're called to be an uncommon people? A people that understands how the kingdom of God actually works. That when a gift arises, that that gift is honored. Why? Because that gift is part of a gift of Christ. See, every one of us in here are gifted. It says in Ephesians 4.10, but to each one a gift is given. If you're in Christ, that you've got a gift. You're in the gifted and talented club. I couldn't get there in school, but I got there in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I really wanted to be a part of that crowd, but... But you see, every one of us has a gift. And the reason why seats shouldn't matter is because you have the most important one already. You're seated next to him. And see, as you go through that scripture, the outcome of honoring the gift is that the body gets knitted together like family. You know, whenever I see one of the gifts and talents emerge out of my kids, boy, I want to celebrate it. Can't stop talking about it. I annoy other people probably. Can any parents relate to that? You know, what would it be, though, if we were able to see the one of the gifts in one another? You just like, oh, man, that's awesome celebrating what Christ put in people. And man, whenever when we cherish that gift in one another, you know what happens? We start to celebrate our sister, start to celebrate our brother, start to celebrate who, who Christ is in one of them. Boy, get knitted together like family. And that reflects the glory of God. The church... Jesus' wife becomes the world-changing agent in the earth because of who his body is together. How they love one another. And so Paul gives us really two tasks, to walk in the spirit of humility and to honor the gift. I want to close with this passage right here.
Ephesians 5, 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There is a, really from the beginning of mine and Aaron's marriage, there was like this silent seven-year disagreement that was never really voiced, but like this silent argument. And it was like this, like I had big dreams, I wanted to make a difference in the world, uh, but there was a big problem that whenever I wanted to go left, she wanted to go right. Can anybody say amen to that? But, but what I, all I had to do was use this magical phrase, God said. It is a low blow, yeah. <laughs> and that magical little phrase would trump any thought or feeling she might have, and then she would yield. But over time, that phrase stopped working. And see, here's the deal. I might have even been right a lot, and I probably was. <laughs> but here's the deal. But I never made room for her to pray and to be in agreement. And so I inadvertently would, and I didn't mean to, just young and dumb, but I inadvertently minimized her thoughts and feelings and I would quench the gift of God in her. Not realizing the gift that she was meant to be to bring completion to who I was. And so quietly, in all those moments when I wanted to go left and she would go right, resentment began to build. She was in the way of my vision. Woman, just get behind me and follow. Why can't you submit? Now, I'm not dumb enough to say that. <laughs> but it was in my heart. So one day, all I can say is one day on the back porch when we were living on the East Miller Street, about eight years ago, I realized that she really was the gift and I was in the way of our unity with the way that I thought. I needed to understand that the gift that I was given and I needed to nourish and cherish that gift. And all of my visions of being this or being that, taking the world by storm or whatever, I realized that that was the destructive thing. I decided, I figured out that I needed to lay that down and put all that kind of thinking in God's hands. And Lord, you, you, you're going to have to do this. And so from that day forward, I decided to be a servant. And I tell you what, I haven't been perfect. But I decided to be a servant. And 
and things greatly changed from that day forward. And from that moment forward, we began to experience unity like we haven't ever before. Has it been perfect? By no means. But whenever I, whenever I became a servant, I decided to be a servant. Can I just qualify this? It hasn't been perfect. Have I said that enough? <laughs> but, but whenever I decided to be a servant, in return, the honor that she started sending my way was amazing. You see, tyrants don't get honor. They only get momentary subjugation. But see, the people under a tyrant, as soon as they see a window, they're out the door. But servants receive honor because that's what they sow into the lives of people. And so now, one of my biggest priorities of life, having tried to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord and do life, one of my biggest priorities has got to be, are we together on this? Are we unified? I can't tell you how many times I had a brilliant idea and she wasn't in agreement with. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times that I went ahead and did it anyways and got burned. But whenever I valued that unity and we came into agreement, and when we came into agreement, how easy and grace-filled those times were. Because it was like when we were in agreement, it was like Holy Spirit got in agreement too. And then the three of us went forward into whatever endeavor together in grace. How do you know that? Because I've rammed my head into a wall enough to know the difference. So check this out. Am I speaking about marriage or am I speaking about the Christ and the church? It is the great mystery. Right. Right. But here's the thing. What would it be like today just to recognize that you're sitting next to a David or a Davida? You know. <laughs> I guess that's how you would say that, I don't know. But what would it be like just to know? that you are sitting next to a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, that what they carry is extremely valuable. It's rare. It's one of a kind. No one carries something quite like they do. What would it be to recognize that and then allow yourself to get knitted together? And it says and in that knitting together that there's a supply of life. And so the gift and glory that you carry is the supply of life to everyone that you're knitted together with. Are you seeing this picture? And so, and as we're knitted together, 
the whole body becomes the mirror image, the reflection of Jesus. And then the people around see the reflection of Jesus in the bride, in the church. Humility goes a very, very, very long way. What would it be for us just to see the greatness of the people around us? Stop this business of like, I know what you did last weekend. You know what? Jesus saw what you did last year. See, the weakest among us, because we're in Christ, is David. But who we are together is like God. Amen? See, this is a hard word. But the Lord delivers hard words to a people that can hold them. See, I believe the Lord delivers hard words to a people that are willing to come up higher to where He is. I believe the Lord delivers hard words to a people that He wants to reflect His own beauty. What if we were just to deal with like pride and jealousy and stuff, bitterness, or whatever the case may be? What if we were to deal with it this fast, just like that? Have a repentant moment where we're going, you know what? I'm going to see everyone around me as though they were a David. I'm going to allow myself to be knitted with others. See, I just believe that there's a great call of the Lord on this body of believers. I believe He's wanting to do something unique in the earth. And I wish I could tell you now the different things that I think God is downloading. We just don't have the time. But God is doing something unique and powerful with this church. Amen. So let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just, and I know this is so common for each and every one of us. But right now, just by the Holy Spirit, you would just say, Lord, I'm letting go of competition, letting go of jealousy, letting go of all this position stuff that I have the best position right now, right next to you. Just, get, just begin to say that to the Lord. Just let, we just let all of that stuff go right now. Lord, just the heart of repentance, just, Lord, just come over all of us right now because we all go there. We all do. Lord, we just surrender all of that, that, that craziness to you.
And Lord, unite us as one. Just as you prayed in John 17, Lord. Lord, make us one as you are one. One with one another and one with the Father. One with the Son and one with the Spirit. Lord, make us one. One heartbeat, one vision, one passion, one desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the precious people that are here today. Yeah. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed day.